Well, welcome back again. Thankfully, uh, you've all survived. We need to get the t-shirt that says, I survived the San Diego flood of 2024. <laughs> that was something else a few days ago. And I just really do want to say thank you, Lord, that we um, none of us were directly affected too, sneak, too significantly, but pray for others in our area. We come back to our study on Psalm 18, verse 23. I'll go ahead and just read it for you this evening um, for sake of uh, making a little more time progress. But Psalm 18, 23 is the focus of our study recently. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. That latter part being the main part. I kept myself from mine iniquity. We're going through a book by John Whitlock studying this verse. It's a series of his sermons uh, back in the 1600s, one of the Puritan pastors. And we're using this again as a personal application of our study with Thomas Watson through the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay. So I'm endeavoring to go through two chapters tonight as they're relatively brief. And I, I do want to be careful not to be in this as long as we were with Watson, although that probably isn't possible. But... Um, so I'm going to see how it goes, but if it doesn't look like we're, the time we'll provide, I'll just wait. We'll do the next chapter the next week. We're still moving through fairly quickly compared to Watson. But uh, last time we looked at scripture proofs of the doctrine, that there is an idea of we all have our own particular sins that we should be repenting of particularly, uh, that we should be focusing on uh, uh, identifying and addressing personally. As, uh, because these are uh, true for all of us in different ways. So we looked at a number of scriptures about that last week, men's special sins, scripture proofs of them. So tonight, chapter four of the book, and again, once we're through, this will go in our church library if you wanted to get it and read it for yourself. You just have to bear with my highlights and scribbles, but I've been given permission to do that by the session <laughs> for teaching. Okay, so chapter four is this. What is meant by keeping yourself from iniquity? So again, that's the part of Psalm 1823 we're looking at. I have kept myself from mine iniquity. And I'm going to walk through at least this chapter explaining some things. What does that mean? First of all, negatively, what it doesn't mean. And uh, just like with Watson, and he's already done this earlier in the book, there are some pastoral disclaimers, qualifications, so none of us just throws our hands in the air and gives up, because <laughs> that is not the point of studying these things, right? The point is to make progress in piety, to grow in godliness. So number one, what it doesn't mean, essentially. <laughs> We're going to study what it means, but first, what it doesn't mean. Negatively, it is not to be understood in a strict legal sense as never to commit it after his conversion or never relapse into it after his repentance of it. It doesn't mean you never have to deal with it again. It doesn't mean that you should foolishly get to the point where you think you've put that behind you. Because as you remember with Watson's study, Satan knows the things that are most likely to tempt you. And just because you've made a good holy habit of growing and changing doesn't mean he couldn't bring you right back to it when you have your guard down. So ne negatively, it doesn't mean you, you never have a, a backsliding. It doesn't mean that you never stumble uh, as if now you're converted from that. And, and that's the kind of thing we'll often try to pastor and counsel people when they're new. Uh, either kind of return to the Lord in the more reformed faith or, you know, after a recent conversion um, to, look, you're sounding so, um, I don't know if the word's brigadacio, I'm trying to think of it. Um, 
You're sounding so ca- strongly about this. You'll never have this problem again. You're, you're never going to do this again. And we, we usually warn, be careful. Because pride comes before the fall. <laughs> you're going to let your guard down. And, and because this is such a significant habit, you'll probably have some struggles as you slowly build a new habit. It isn't that you can have significant change, but that's just usually the way it can happen. We don't want to we don't want to give any disregard to, maybe for some people they really do, just lay it down, never return to it. But we don't want to give the impression as we're identifying certain sins that are a particular problem for us that we need to identify and deal with and get rid of. We don't want to give the impression that you get rid of them and it's never an issue anymore. That would be naive, and frankly, that'll be a setup for another fall, right? So you always want to be wise about it, but you also need to be wise that uh, we're never perfect until heaven, you know? Uh, He says this, If this were the meaning of it, the best of saints on earth, no, not David, a man after God's own heart, could never have said, I kept myself from mine iniquity. So there's always a qualification of something, an understanding in a broader context. David himself couldn't have said these words if it meant I never did it again. I never had any struggle with this. Uh, He says, there are some sins that even an upright man may be pestered with all his days and be foiled by them again and again. It must be owned. His habitual aim and design and bent of his soul is to keep himself from his own special sin. If never committing or or falling into his iniquity was the meaning of the text, not a mere man on earth would be able to prove his uprightness. Nobody can do things perfectly. Okay, We're looking for growth. We're looking for progress. We're looking to be able to say it more and more. Okay, Because um, the thing is, is that, that one fall doesn't mean it has to be the same degree or issues as before. Satan is the accuser waiting to use that on you and say, see, you were never serious. Why don't you just give up right now and go right back to it? And that's what happens sometimes. People give up. I can't do it. I just can't do it perfectly. So I'm just going back to the world. I'm not in the church. I'm not in Christ anymore. Yeah. And uh, that, that's not what we want to have happen from this study. Uh, he says, he quotes James 3 verse 2. There is not a just man on earth that sinneth not. And of course, 1 John, if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us when we confess our sins. God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we actually say we don't have any sins, we're, we're lying to ourselves. And that's a sin. <laughs> you know, better to be upfront and honest with God, right? Uh, he, he knows anyways. He's helping us grow. Uh, So again, number one, negatively, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you'll never struggle with this as you deal with it. It may always be a struggle. And it's wise to always be careful considering, you know, Satan could take you right out with it again. Uh, You always want to be mindful of the danger. And and you don't want to think that you're beyond hope uh, when uh, when you have setbacks. Okay, Uh, even if it's just what we're going to look at with what Paul says in Romans seven tonight, just wishing it was never even a temptation, you know. Okay, number two, affirmatively. So positively, what it what it means, although although it's kind of negative in terms of its its effect. Uh, Number one, under affirmatively, 
to keep men's selves from their iniquity so as to evidence the uprightness of their hearts, thereby is to break off from the practice of those sins they are most inclined to. That is, from the allowed, frequent, customary committing of it, if it is an outward act of gross, scandalous sin, yea, from the allowed inward actings of his peculiar sins, though they are but mere infirmities, much more if they are mixed infirmities that have too much of the will or present sensual delight in them, or that proceed from carelessness. He does not keep himself from his iniquity who regards iniquity in his heart. Psalm 66, 18. God won't hear us in our prayers if we regard iniquity in our hearts. So what he's saying is, positively, if you are working on your personal problems that most are most dangerous and common to you, you have to hate it. You have to want to get rid of it. You want to practice the practice of saying no and building new habits by the Holy Spirit. And if you still regard the sin in your heart, you know, I really, it really comes down to the issue you've often heard it spoken of is you don't like the consequences of the sin, but that's all you're really concerned about. You actually still want the sin. Now, don't get me wrong. Sin is usually attractive to us. It has its sugar coating. It's what's there after the sugar coating has gone. But, it, you know, let's not pretend that sins are not uh, enjoyable at first. We don't want to be naive about that. On the other hand, we don't love them. We hate them for what they are and what it means against our God. And so you do not regard the iniquity in your heart. Like you're praying, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. But at the same time, you're like, but I'm going to do it. Right? You might not say it, but you kind of say it to yourself in a way. And then you do. So if you just regard it in your heart. And you have no intention on changing it. You like it so much. And you're really just asking for forgiveness. And you're going to God like a Roman Catholic confessional, so you can just go right back out and do it again. That's not what this is talking about. Um, while you don't want to think that you're not going to still struggle, on the other hand, you can't regard it. You know, you're going to hate that it's in your heart. Your, hate, your heart's going to hate it. He writes, he keeps himself from his iniquity, who can truly say with Paul in Romans 7.15, that which I do, I allow not. He's going to come back to Romans 7, so I'm going to wait to read that in the book. It's pretty much the King James. Uh, so, but you know, where Paul says, what I don't want to do, I do. What I do, I don't want to do. So there's this, oh, this is, this is not what I want. This is not me, right? Um, that's got to be there, this wrestling, this hatred of it. He writes this. But if men allow themselves in any known sin, they do not keep themselves from it. They are not upright. And such who customarily and frequently fall into scandalous sins, such as constant drinking, drunkenness, swearing, uncleanness, defrauding, or any other sin that they know to be so, they do not keep themselves from their iniquity. If they just go on with it and they don't repent, they don't show any concern to actually change, make excuses. Um, he says, then these are things that show um, you're not keeping yourself from your iniquity because you're not breaking it off. You're not breaking it off. Um, I'm, I'm on to the next page here. It is the constant burden of his soul so that he groans under it and is in bitterness of soul for it. 
looking on Christ as pierced by it. Actually, I might have skipped a page by mistake. Yes, excuse me. I skipped a page. I'll get back to that. <laughs> you have to keep yourself from iniquity. Um, I, I want to share something. I was going to save it for an e-devotion, but I'm just going to share it now, partly so I don't forget. Uh, I think it'll be helpful. I saw in a YouTube short recently, and of course I haven't looked this up to qualify all the, how much of this is accurate, but this guy was sharing that there's a part of your brain, so go look it up, make sure this is accurate, but if not, it's still helpful, I think, to encourage us. There's a part of your brain, I don't remember what it's called, some Latin phrases, they go in one ear, out the other, probably because there's not much brain, gray matter in there to keep it, but um, there's, a part of your, <laughs> there's a part of your brain that when you say no to something, it grows. Uh, athletes, it's usually larger in athletes. They have to say no to a lot of things for self-discipline to become great muscular, but their brain in this area grows. It says people who overeat and are overweight, it's usually smaller because we don't say no. He says it's not about doing more things. It's about doing things we don't want to do. It's about doing more of what we do not want to do. That's what makes that part of the brain grow. Now, I couldn't help but think of it. I want to share it here just for your encouragement. You know, as we grow in holiness, we'll, we'll keep growing, right? Righteousness unto righteousness, Paul talks about. We, we had a sermon about that. You should be expecting that. As you learn, especially enabled by the Holy Spirit, the grace of new habits, you grow. But similar to as you flex your muscles and you do exercise, your muscles grow by that. Similarly, when you say, when you do things you don't want to do, and I think you can say you say no to things you want to do, that part of your brain apparently grows, which is an encouragement to think over time, not that you can just decide to get flabby, there's you know atrophy by lack of use, but you make progress and it becomes smoother and easier to say no to those things. You've made habits out of them, but not just out of spiral habit or the physical muscles, but the brain itself that section grows by saying no. So anyways, I thought that would be helpful to encourage as we go through this to, as a motivation. And uh, I don't know, I guess we've got to be careful. You grow too much. I don't know, does your forehead start sticking out? Or I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's, you know, very slight, modern things, but interesting to consider. Number two, the keeping men's selves from their iniquities, which is evidence of uprightness before God consists in the, by the way, actually, I did mean to say before we go on, that last section about, you know, drunkards, uh, constant drinking, uncleanness, defrauding, swearing, all these other things, you know, that sounds like what Paul says quite a few times in the pastoral letters, right? These people should not think they're going to inherit the kingdom of God. If you are just completely giving yourselves to a regular lifestyle, doesn't matter if you read the Bible, doesn't matter if you pray and like to talk about God, you are on your way to hell. There is no way for you to think that you're a Christian. And there is no way for you to think that anything good's going to come of that. If you just don't want to get rid of really bad things that God says is really bad, and you insist on that being part of your life, then there's great danger here. He's warning about that. Okay? And he's, he's really practically quoting Paul with that list of things, right? Constant habits that you regard in your heart and you tell yourself are good when God says they're evil. Okay? Uh, number two, that keeping men's selves from their iniquities, which is evidence of uprightness before God, consists in the bent and bias of the soul being set against sin 
and peculiarly against its special sins. In the soul's being heartily willing and giving a full consent to have its most beloved lust or most prevailing tyrannizing iniquity subdued, mortified, killed, and crucified. It is to take up a firm purpose and resolution, and that in the strength of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit against its special sins, it is to be active in keeping from and mortifying these prevailing corruptions, and not to be merely passive. The upright man is not only kept from sin, but keeps himself from it. Let me read that again before I continue. The upright man is not only kept from sin, but keeps himself from it. But proactively, I keep myself from it. I keep myself away from whatever might lead me into it. As it is one thing to be humbled, and another to humble oneself. So it's one thing to be kept from committing the outward acts of sin, and another thing for a man to make it his design and business to set himself against his sin. So when we're really serious and we start to identify them, we draw a circle around it and we say, what hedge do I need to build around that? You know, uh, what do I need to build around it to get it out? You know, what precautions do I need to take? What major changes in my life do I need to make so that this habit, this regular process, what are the, what are the standard influences? Right? Uh, what, what are the scriptures I really need to be memorizing and praying about to have ready, right? He says, a man's acting upon and towards himself, using, it, using as it were a holy violence against himself towards his strong propensities and particular iniquities. I was a preserver of myself, so says one version. So he's saying one of the translations, instead of saying, I kept myself from mine iniquities, it's translated as, I was a preserver of myself. I was a preserver of myself. And, you know, think about what precautions you take when you know there's any danger. When we knew we might get hit by a hurricane, most of us make sure we had what we needed to protect ourselves from it, from what might come of it. Uh, when we had all the floods recently on Monday, you know, we were all very careful. We're getting text warnings, stay off the road if you can. You know, we're all, we adjust, we're different because of the great danger that we can be swept away in. Um, he gives us Romans seven fifteen to 25, and I'm going to read that for you. It's right in the book here. Evidence that you are upright when you can say what Paul says in Romans seven fifteen to 25. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, 
With the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, before we continue, some debate is about whether Paul's a Christian when he writes this. And um, I submit to you, he's a Christian when he writes this. He's, we can all identify with this, right? This isn't excusing it. This is a wrestling. This is a grieving over what I don't want to do. I do what I do. I don't want to do. He's not saying, you know, completely, right? Obviously, he made a lot, he made a lot of growth. He's writing about a lot of growth. But he's writing about the need to, uh, to battle with these things and battle with, you know, you've all experienced it. You're praying, and all of a sudden, you start thinking about something. You're like, oh, Ugh, you don't want to knock it out of your head. Like, why is it so hard to focus in prayer? You know, it isn't because I was giving myself to something, something from 20 years ago. Why is that in my head right now, right? You know, it's just, ah, oh, we're just affected by original sin. We're affected by the fall, and we're always going to be wrestling with it. But if it's your heart to say, I don't want that, you're not regarding it in your heart, and that's good. I don't want this. I don't want it. Please help me. Now, I do want to take a little bit of an aside here, what he says, the quote, what he quotes last. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then it goes into Romans 8, remember. And all the wonderful stuff, the Holy Spirit's with us, groans for us when we don't have words. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, not death, not angels, not war, anything, right? So obviously he's leading into that, that sense of hopelessness. But that needs to be in our heart. Like, oh, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, right? And um, what I want to share is I, I heard last night, I think while I was changing the oil, I was listening to RefNet. I really encourage you, if you don't have it, put refnet.fm on your computer or on your app on your phone. It just keeps playing like a radio station. And man, sometimes there's lovely music. Nathan Clark George, Gordon Clark's grandson, by the way. Uh, beautiful music. Uh, not just his, uh, a lot of times it's just sermons and lectures, R.C. Sproul, Derek Thomas, Sinclair Ferguson, you know, a lot, and Alistair Beggs, really wonderful. Sometimes I like to just put it on because I don't want to have to look through a list and decide what I'm going to listen to. Just whatever comes is what I'm going to hear. Anyways, I was listening last night, Sinclair Ferguson comes on. And he shares about uh, one time he was asked to give a lecture, I don't recall where, I think it, was, I think it might have been in his native Scotland. If, if not, it was, I think it was Europe. And he gave a lecture for a couple hours. He was to teach about Christ and the gospel of Christ. And he said, I was so surprised when a number of the leaders took me, took me privately somewhere and started to scold me. You have been here for two hours and you haven't told us one thing to do. And he kind of challenged them. Well, we will get to that, but you won't want to hear what Jesus says of what you're to do in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. But he said, I haven't even hardly begun. You asked me to teach you about Jesus, knowing Jesus, and it's grace. It's not about what you do. And that's the thing we want to highlight here. We are, it's about who you are. It's about knowing Christ and knowing Christ and who you are in Christ. And you've got to remember while we're looking at how to be growing the way he would have us grow, it, it starts and ends with Jesus Christ, his rescuing us, our crying out to him, not pulling up our own bootstraps. And you see that a lot. People give a lot of lip service to Christ, but it ends up being pride. I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to show everybody. It's not going to happen that way. It won't last that way, right? Okay, that being said, let's move on to the next part. Number three, and this is the affirmative, what it's teaching positively. A man keeps himself from his iniquity so as to manifest his uprightness when, if he is overtaken and foiled by his iniquity, he mourns 
and grieves for it with true evangelical godly sorrow and speedily renews the actings of his repentance and faith and prayers for pardon of and power against it, not suffering guilt to lie on his conscience or the filth and power of his sin to lie quietly in his soul, but confesses it to God and has his heart stirred up to a higher degree of indignation against it. When you do fall, you don't lie there and let it take you over. You get up and you try to cut it out. You try to kill it and ask for help and just stop. You don't read, oh, what led to this? I mean, there's a benefit to looking at red flags and stuff, but you just immediately go right back to the cross, right back to the blood, and you get up and you ask the Holy Spirit, please, please help me. He writes this. It is the constant burden of his soul that he groans under it and is in bitterness of soul for it, looking on Christ as pierced by it. He exercises faith on Christ, wrestles with God in prayer, and his heart is more set against his sin. I always like to think of uh, uh, Jacob, right? Wrestles with God all night long until he gets a blessing. He walks away with a limp from it all his life. But may we walk away with a holy limp, right? Than the kind of walk with the world, you know, wrestle, Lord, all night. Give me victory over this. Uh, if I got to go out of the house, if I got to take a walk all night, give me victory. Give me victory. Help me grow that part of my brain. Help me to grow a new holy habit. If I say no now and I make it through the no, the next no becomes easier. The next no. Of course, it's the other way, right? Paul talks not only about uh, uh, righteousness unto righteousness or righteousness unto holiness. He also speaks about iniquity unto iniquity. We had sermons on both of those texts a while ago in Romans, right? So there's an aspect. If you keep saying yes to the habits of the sins you like the most, they become more and more all through you like a vine. But if you keep saying no and no, they get chopped up more and more and split and taken out of you more and more. It becomes easier and easier the next time, and the life is better. He says, there must be a holy violence used against these special sins. For the spirit in the regenerate part is willing, yet the flesh is weak, yea, willful, and must be kept under. Now, uh, two things I want to share that I've written notes for. I want to share a third thing. If you count only two, would you help me remember, please? It's another YouTube short, but I think it'll be useful. And again, I was going to use it for an e-devotion, but I'm going to throw it out there tonight because I think it'll be helpful, okay? Uh, I'm going to open, uh, well, actually, I got my Bible here. I was going to open my phone. Matthew eleven twelve. if you turn there with me, please. There's a phrase he uses that recalls a Makes me remember a book we're all, I think, familiar with. I was one of my books I was assigned in seminary. Thomas Watson, Taking Heaven by Storm. Matthew eleven twelve is his book. And it's based on this idea of holy violence. He says there must be a holy violence used against these special sins, right? Paul talks about killing the old self. There must be a holy violence. We can't expect these things to change significantly if we're not making significant changes, right? Okay. Uh, Matthew 11, verse 12. And this is Jesus speaking. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And what Thomas Watson is really encouraging with this verse is that's the way you're supposed to live your Christian life. Take heaven by force. Go after it. Grab it. Ask for more of it. 
And when you see the Lord giving healing or any kind of blessings to people when he's here, those are the ones usually getting it, right? Coming after it, taking it by violence. And we're not talking about a sinful approaching of God or stealing, but there's an active, I want to change my life. I want to change my life for my church, for my children, for my wife, for the world, right? And it takes really serious effort and activity. Um, uh, so if you're interested, the book Taking Heaven by Storm by Thomas Watson, I imagine it's in our library. It is, yeah, I have a nod from the librarian here, Mrs. Rachel Van Loon. Or I did it again, Mrs. Rachel Lemon. I'm so sorry. Man, oh man, I'm not going to get out of here. Life. <laughs> if I don't think carefully, it's, it's still, uh, I'm just so used to saying your last name before marriage. Sorry for that. Uh, I also want to ask you to turn with me to the Westminster Larger Catechism, number 76. And uh, we've referenced this before. Uh, actually, we've gone to the Confession of Faith on Repentance, but now I want to go to this catechism just to be thinking about it. And please help me remember there's a, there's a third thing I'd like to share. But right now we're going to go to Westminster Larger Catechism, and we're going to go to 76. What is repentance unto life? This is really describing what he's talking about. When I have kept mine iniquity, I don't regard it in my heart, and I want to cut it out. Remember last week, Christ spoke about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. There needs to be a holy violence to grow in holiness. Okay? What is repentance unto life? 76 of the larger catechism. Repentance unto life is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and word of God, whereby out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, and upon the apprehension of God's mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, he so grieves for and hates his sins as that he turns from them all to God, purposing and endeavoring after constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience. I'm closing that now because I want to go through it and talk about it and I'll go too long. But you see that same idea. Like, it's not just I'm concerned about the dangers, the consequences. I hate the sin itself for what it is. I don't want it in me. I don't want that. I hate it for what it is. Even if I don't have any consequences from it uh, temporally in this life. Of course, there's always the afterlife. But notice there's a grief. There's a hatred of it. It's just, I don't want this. And you see that communicated in, in Romans 7. So if that's the case... How will you let someone operate on you? And this is where I'm going to get to my illustration in a moment. If I go back and he says, the keeping, of men, the keeping men's selves from their iniquities, which is evidence of uprightness before God, consists in the bent and bias of the soul being set against sin and peculiarly against its special sins, in the soul's being heartily willing and giving a full consent to have its most beloved lust or most prevailing tyrannizing iniquity subdued, mortified, killed, and crucified. A most willingness to submit to have it taken care of. Well, the work of the pastor is, 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 is uh, related to a physician often. And do you recall what was shared in Jason Halopoulos' message about preaching uh, in the Sabbath class on the video this Lord's Day? He talked about, do you remember the affliction? You just quoted it in your nugget, right? 
you want me to do it for you? It's nothing like being called on the spot publicly. I know. Like, uh, you'll, you'll be able to say it all night long. And you won't be able to sleep because of it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to do that to you. All to say, I understand. <laughs> um, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Yeah. And the comfortable need to be afflicted. But here's the thing. There should be a willingness because I hate it and I know how horrible it is to have it in me. Please take it out however still and submissive I have to be for you to identify it and pull it out of me. The Lord using his means of grace. All right, now are you ready for that illustration, that third thing I was going to say? Another YouTube short. I couldn't believe this thing. Cute little kitten. I almost sent it to Rachel. She likes cats. Didn't get it from me. But <laughs> cute little white little kitten like this, just vet's hand holding his chin like this, and it looks so earnest, and you couldn't believe how still this kitten was. Eyes wide, just almost like, please, please, thank you so much for helping me. And the video says, wait for it. You're not going to believe it. Has a little tweezer and is pulling slowly, slowly, slowly out of one of its nostrils. Slowly, 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 slowly. Slowly, 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 slowly. And finally, and a gig- they said that the cat had been having all kinds of problems, scratching its nose, breathing, just, you know, clearly just seeming to have breathing issues, right? You wouldn't think this. It was a very large, about like this, throbbing, living fly larva that had been up its nose, way up there. Now, there's two things I want us to think about with that. First of all, and that thing he was holding, he said, oh, it's so disgusting. And it, you could see its body just rippling and thriving. And the thing was up its nostril, and it was significantly affecting it. But it was a cute little kitty. Everybody wasn't, if you knew that thing was in its nose, you'd probably be there, kitty, kitty. Stay over there, kitty, kitty. But I'm sure everybody was happy to talk. Somehow that thing was planted up its nose. It was gigantic. I don't even know how they pulled it out without having to sever it. Slowly got it out, it was alive. So first of all, that's what you need to think about with sin in you that needs to come out. And how easily we can hide it with our pretty little furry faces, right? But what was more important and why I bring it up right now, now I got two e-devotions for two weeks, I got to find something else now. (laughs) But I think it's pretty useful. And while I'm thinking it, because I often forget them. Um, Think about this, the way that little kitten stayed perfectly still, did not move. It could not have been comfortable. And it took a while. And that kitty just, I mean, it just looked so earnest. And it knew how serious and significant this was. And it just slowly, slowly, slowly pulled this gigantic thing out of his nose. I wouldn't have even thought it could fit out of it. But my point is, that's how we have to be. With the Lord working our lives to pull those kinds of living, nasty, sinful practices that are our pets and our darlings and habits out of us because they're throbbing in there and they're disgusting. And if we hold it right before our face, it's horrifying. And they're stuck up in our brains and in our nostrils and they need to be taken out. And it is not pleasant, but it has to be done. And the way to have that done is to sit there carefully while you are operated on. And be willing to have it carefully taken out. And the Lord uses his means of grace to do that. The reading of the word. Submit to the reading of your Bible every morning. Submit and get past the moment of where you feel like you can't. Or that's going to have to be enough. And get to the point where it is devotion. Submit to where he starts to pull things out of you with it. In prayer. Don't just say a quick prayer. 
And don't get me wrong, you've heard me say I appreciate, uh, I've heard that one Puritan's prayer was, uh, Lord, I'm tired, amen, when they went to bed. I, can, I get that, you know, there's places for that. But generally, like, be giving yourselves to prayer, talking with the Lord, making real changes in your life, and not only getting rid of the bad, but filling it with the good, right? And just be ready to receive the ministry of the gospel. And it is often going to have to show and expose things that you don't want to look at, that you have to take out. And I'm not saying, like, I mean, it's good. a lot of times I think the Lord is going to work with you in these things because they're so private. But, you know, in the pews, when you feel like I'm preaching right at you, well, I am. But I don't necessarily know that. <laughs> you know, I just preach what it is. The pastors are going to preach the truth of scriptures, make applications. And sometimes you're going to feel it right between the eyes. Sit there and let the Lord pull that fly larva out of your nostril, your nose cavity. Can you imagine how much better he's breathing afterwards? See, most people, once you even start to go near the nose with the tweezers, they're gone, or they're moving. You know, they're, and then when they're home, this is what they're doing all the time, right? <laughs> so be willing to have heaven taken by storm partly by willing to have hell taken out of you with these, whatever are these particular sins that you need to have kept yourself from and kept from doing again by getting them torn out of you. Number four, he says, to be upright and prove that uprightness by men's keeping themselves from their iniquities is to watch against these sins in a special manner. And all the occasions... And the very appearances of these evils. And to resist the very first motions and risings of them in the heart. It is to use all the means God has in his word appointed and directed to for the mortification of them. It is to use and improve all duties and ordinances, the word, sacraments, prayer, Fasting, joined with prayer and the communion of saints, yea, all public, private, and secret duties to this end. That's kind of what I was leading into. Uh, to be upright and prove this, you're going to make use of the means of grace. You're going to make use of all, all of the blessings, um, and particularly in the gathering of the church. It's interesting, when I went home, Lord's Day evening, and rocking kids to sleep, uh, and it, going through a series by Sinclair Ferguson, The Basic Christian Life, number three or four, uh, coming to a church near you, probably the Sabbath class, class down the road. And it was all about the, the necessity of being part of the church. And, uh, and then I see the same to topic being covered uh, by Sola Media right now in, a, in another thing. It's interesting how they're, I don't know if it's because beginning of the year, <laughs> maybe people start thinking I got to get back to church. But you know, it's coming up a lot. Like the means of grace are in the church. They gather together daily in the book of Acts, right? Devoted themselves to prayer, to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, right? The going to the means of grace to be regularly cleansed and growing and making those habits. And we ought to be careful, he says, not to even be guilty of the appearance of evil. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.22 that he cites. You know, if we want to be careful about not having tendencies with evil, we need to be keeping ourselves far from even the appearance of them. In terms of what we witness outwardly and what we witness to ourselves. Well, we're done with this chapter. I may toy with finishing the next one. We'll... 
I'll take a look at it. I, may, I might wait till next time. But I did want to take us to one more scripture, Matthew 26, verse 41. Matthew 26, verse 41. Because he says we've got to watch against these sins in a special manner. So, for instance, as you're listening to the sermons, as you're praying, as you're studying scriptures, you keep in mind, Lord, help me to particularly remember to apply this to that situation that I'm dealing with about watching, keeping myself from my particular sins. Yeah, Matthew 26, verse 41. Jesus says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That kind of relates to the discussion as well, right, that we looked at already with Romans 7. That's my phone. I'm going to move it over here. <laughs> I have it on silent, but it's making a noise on the wood. Uh, so we, we had a sermon on this a little while ago related to our study. Jesus teaches us in the sixth petition to pray, right? Here, part of the prayer, the last petition is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's asking the Lord to do the work. But then notice in verse 41, watch and pray. This idea of watching, watching, watching. Watch for the red flags. Watch for the signs. Watch for the habits and the, the directions that you know are dangerous. Stay away from them. But then he says, and pray. Watch and pray. Pray what? That ye enter not into temptation. So not only lead me not into temptation, but pray I don't lead myself into temptation in a sense, right? Pray that I don't take myself there. Not that I just don't happen into it, but I don't lead myself into it. But I keep myself from my iniquity. Remembering, again, the spirit indeed is willing, Romans 7, but the flesh is weak. We need to recognize our need for the Lord Jesus to help us in making use of the means of grace that he gives us to do this and grow. All right, well, I think I can get through the next chapter, and I'd like to do that, partly because I do want to end this study sooner than later with, with how things may change in a little while uh, for Wednesday nights with me leading. So uh, what I want to do is I'm going to try to work through chapter five. If it turns out to be uh, not possible to finish it, that's okay. I won't, I won't keep you too long. But uh, number five, the reasons of the doctrine. Uh, uh, this is a, you know, a good thing to do next. What's meant by keeping myself? Now, here's reasons to do it. Motivations, you could say. Here's motivations. The reasons of the doctrine of keeping yourself from special sins, keeping yourself from your iniquity. Number one, one reason why it is the duty of everyone who names the name of Christ and the evidence of such a one's uprightness to keep himself from his iniquity is because it is by these sins that are men's own proper iniquities that God is most dishonored. These are they that make men take occasion from to reproach religion, especially. He says, whatever the sins are that you particularly have a special to you, they most dishonor God. Because they're like, practically you're a God. You're idol, right? Whatever it is, they most dishonor God because they have such a clutch on you. And you have clutched or cleaved so much to them. They most dishonor God. So motivation to keep yourself from them is what is our end? What's our chief end? To glorify and honor God. What are we taught to pray in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, first petition, hallowed be thy name. I want to honor you. 
And the opposite of that is to do what are your darling sins that you don't want to let go of and you harbor in your heart or in danger. He writes, he who really keeps himself from his iniquities does it from grounds and principles from a respect to God's glory. From a respect to God's glory. You do it to glorify God. That's your chief end. That's why we're saved, to glorify and serve him, right? Not ourselves and not our sins and not Satan and not this world. It's to glorify and honor God. And when you choose to do those things, you honor God. And Christ says, when you do those good works, they glorify God in heaven. But that is keeping yourself from your iniquities and growing your godliness in those areas. I'm going to turn to Colossians 3 briefly. Uh, of course, we often think of 1 Corinthians 10.31, but I'd like to turn to Colossians 3, just to read two scriptures close together, not adjacent, but close together, right after Philippians. Colossians 3, verse 17 and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And then look at verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do. And that includes killing what you shouldn't do, right? He writes... Now men's own sins, dishonoring God, opposing Christ, and grieving the Spirit in a more than ordinary manner to keep from some sins and not from these would argue a rotten heart. One second. Um, if we are to obey the Scriptures, not to grieve the Holy Spirit, then we're supposed to not impose on Christ and not dishonor God. When we keep our special sins, it particularly would say, we have a rotten heart. That's like rotten fruit. You know those examples. You find an apple that's starting to rot. Oh, you want to get rid of that thing. You know, we're picking a lot of oranges from our trees. But it, the wonderful blessing is hard to keep up with them. We're having quite the harvest as they sit in a bowl. Sometimes I have to say, oh, one started to mold. And once that hits, that thing becomes like a puffball dance. You don't want to near the other ones. You throw it out quickly. That's what our heart is like when we're supposed to honor God. And instead, we do the things that dishonor him the most. So may God's glory be our main motivation, knowing that the Holy Spirit is how we do any of this, his grace and goodness. Yes, Isaac. Is it long? I'm going to give you the mic. Okay. People say it will be long, and then it, just like the pastor, it's not short. And uh, nobody can hear. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, in verse 23, when it said, like, whatsoever you do, and it said, whatsoever you do, blah, 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 blah. blah. Hardly do it as unto the Lord. Hardly do it as unto the Lord. Uh-huh. Uh, did the thing that went, um, that we say sometimes when we pray, whatsoever you do, whether it is eat or drink, do it unto the Lord, did that come off of the verse 23? No, you're recognizing a very similar verse. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is the one you're thinking of that we usually cite when we're remembering Shorter Catechism 1. And that is, so therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever do, do all to the glory of God. Very similar, but it mentions the eating and drinking, yeah. Good. Okay, so reason number two. Reason number one, to glorify God, to honor God. And you can think about this. You can best honor him when you destroy the things that are most dishonoring to him. 
Let that be a motivation. Number two, reason number two, motivation number two, because for persons to keep themselves from their either reigning or prevailing corruptions is one special act, fruit, and effect of true evangelical sorrow and repentance. Now, I think the last three things he's talking about are all essentially fruit to prove the root, but I'm trying to discern what's different about each section. I'm going to take a stab at it briefly and just kind of in a flyover. But this first thing he says is because it proves, it's, it, it's, it's the effect of a true evangelical sorrow and repentance. If you really sorrow over your sins, if you're really hating them and responding to the gospel by the Spirit, it is a natural disposition you will have. It doesn't mean we always have it. We have to you know, have Jesus speak to us about don't be lukewarm and don't give up your first love, right? We have to be challenged, of course. But, but we'll respond to those things. You know, our hearts will be pricked, not in the way of some in Acts where they just hate more, but they'll be pricked in the way of others where they're convicted and they want to change. And um, I, I've given us Matthew twelve thirty three as a verse to read. Matthew 12, verse 33. And uh, I'm going to offer this as maybe the summary verse of all that follows in this chapter, because it's really different angles or dynamics of bearing fruit meet for repentance. That's what, you know, they asked John the Baptist, what should we do? You know, don't take too much in taxes, be a good soldier, don't take advantage of people, bear fruit, meet for repentance. There ought to be fruit that shows the root of faith and repentance is real, right? You don't go looking for oranges on an apple tree, is the point, right? Or you don't go looking for fruit on a tree that's dead and uh, all uh, diseased, right? You go to a healthy tree for a good fruit. Okay, uh, Matthew 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. So, a significant fruit of real repentance and true faith is that you hate your sin and you do something about it and you especially focus on the things that you know you need the most work on, that need the most attention. And you see evidences of that work and then you see the fruit of that work. So it's fruit that shows you that you really are sorry. You know, sometimes we'll say to people, you know, I know you say you're sorry, but you haven't changed the thing you've done. And you've ran right back to it as soon as I turned around. You know, if you're really sorry, you're going to at least try not to, <laughs> you know. Um, so that's evidence that you're truly sorry when you're, when you're working on doing something different. Uh, he gives us 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11. Yay, what revenge. And in that section, he's, this is 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he's had to really lay into them. And then in 2 Corinthians, he says, you know, I didn't want to have to do that. I didn't take any joy in it, but look what godly sorrow it's brought in your lives. Not a worldly sorrow like some, but a real godly sorrow evidenced by look how you've changed. And he rejoices with them over it. They let him pull out the larva in their noses. And while it wasn't pleasant for him or them, look at the results. You're breathing better. You know, you're singing more robustly to the Lord, so to speak. Uh, reason number three, motivation number three. 
Because to keep yourselves from your iniquities will be evidence of the power as well as the truth of your repentance and the work of God's sanctifying spirit and grace upon your hearts. These are the master sins, the lordly lusts. So if it's the master sins and the lordly lusts that by God's grace and spirit and the blood of Christ that you are slaying, what does that show? Who is your real master? Jesus Christ. So again, you're going to be giving glory and honor to him to show that he's your true master. And they are not. He says, we must fight against every sin, but we must aim our arrows and blows most particular, excuse me, most peculiarly against our king lusts to take them captive, yea, to kill and slay them. Kill the king lusts to show and give glory to the king of kings. That's a motivation and a reason. Okay, relates to wanting to honor him. I'm going to turn to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. I won't stay there long, so feel free to, not that you might not beat me there, but uh, feel free to just note it. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. This is one of those scriptures I'm always going back saying, oh man, I got to memorize where that is because it's such an important one. There is one verse with Corinthians that talks about beating our bodies into submission. There's another about controlling our spirits, our mind, our thoughts. And this is it. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He says, it is a sign of sincerity when men keep themselves from their most predominant sins as those that are the greatest enemies to God and their souls. Uh, and then he actually does give us 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. I always think I'm so smart. And then within a paragraph or two, oh, well, he, yeah, he already wrote that down too. So, <laughs> so once again, he gives us 4 and 5. What's that? Oh, wow. He's got a note that I preached that last July. Um, so keep taking every thought captive, you know, uh, the world thinks that we have to just let our thoughts ramble and go where they flow. No, we're to take them captive and make them prisoners. They're not allowed to see the day of light, you know, uh, light of day, I should say. Uh, you know, what does Jesus say? Don't think about this. Think about that. So you don't worry, right? Paul says, don't think about this. Pray. Don't worry, right? Take no thought. We are so much of the scriptures talks about how we govern our thoughts. And some of us have just been raised and might be, or might be of the disposition or in the most dangerous way, both, where we think that our thoughts are our kings and we just let them go wherever they want. And then they turn into our feelings and we can't discern them and we do all kinds of things and we excuse it based on emotions, but it's often really based on our thinking. Take the thoughts captive under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, I'm not going to talk about that. Why? Because Christ wouldn't have me talk about that. And move on. If they don't stop talking, you leave. Okay? And if you're the only one there talking to yourself, you leave the room and you find a new place and start singing a psalm or something, right? Until it passes. Take the thoughts captive under the authority of the king. You take your king lusts under the authority of the king and you show him to be king. He is king, but you show him to be your king. And you show others that's the case.
Uh, reason number four, this is the last one to close the chapter. Uh, thanks for bearing with me. Looks like we'll be okay uh, for time. Because this will be an evidence of the truth and strength of our love to God and Jesus Christ. When we will deny them nothing but are ready to pluck out right eyes, cut off right hands, keep and mortify those sins that are by nature, by custom, and by their profit or pleasure as dear to us as those members of body are. As a proof of your love for God. How does somebody really know you love them? Your sacrifice for them. How do we know God's love for us? The sacrifice of his son. How do our Wives and husbands and our children know we really love them when we sacrifice things we would love to do. Let's not even worry about whether it's sinful. It couldn't be it's not sinful. But we sacrifice them out of love. We show our love. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord God with everything in you. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't love one another, John says, then you clearly don't love God. God is love. So, out of love. Jesus says, if you're forgiven much, you love much. And love is the keeping of his commands. And that includes cut it off, kill it, get rid of these things. That so easily beset us. Still on this topic, so proving that we're truly repentant, proving Christ is our king, uh, and proving, um, proving, what was the first one? I think it was a little different aspect of things. Uh, yeah, uh, the last three, proving, fruit, proving. Lastly, uh, proving we love Jesus. You know, a lot of people say they love Jesus, I think. But where's the, sh- where's the evidence of the love? Where's the, where's the proof of the love, right? And it's, it's in the doing of things that show the love, and it's in the not doing of things. So a husband proves to his wife he loves her by forsaking all others, forsaking all other women. And uh, hopefully the Lord uh, keeps everyone from temptation. But if it is allowed, that he would deliver us from the evil before it happens. That's love. And especially when it's done for God or one another and the concern more for others than ourselves. That's love. Okay? Bless you. Uh, And again, if you want, and maybe we could close with, but for sake of time, I'll be careful not to. 1 Corinthians 13. Love. What is love? Doesn't vaunt itself. Right? All these different things. And again, that's what the men are studying slowly but surely on our Tuesday monthly studies. Jonathan Edwards' book, Charity and Its Fruit. See, charity and its fruit. Love has its fruit. Real love, right? Um, Lastly, he writes this, and it'll, it'll close the chapter, and it'll close our study tonight. A reason, the motivation, still related to proving your love for Jesus. But if men do not keep themselves from their beloved iniquities, their special sins, They have no true love for God at all. Yea, if they do not set themselves with all their might against prevailing corruptions, it is a sign there is little love to God and Jesus Christ. So ultimately, we need to pray, Lord, help me to love you better. Help me to love my neighbor better. Help me to love. Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 13, you can do a bunch of things still, but if there's not love in it, it's a clanging symbol. It benefits you nothing. So we want to recognize the doing of things have to be motivated by real and true love, and they have to truly be loving things. But that being the case, there will be these fruits of charity, these fruits of love. 
And if they're not there, whether it's in seed form, whether we're trying to take these things out, or we're trying to study them, identify them, and figure out a way to have more self-control, fruit of the Holy Spirit, and get it out of our lives and fill it with the right things so an empty room isn't filled again with many demons. If we're not trying, if we just regard it in our heart, we're not really worried about it, we're not seeing any significant change to change significantly, then the ultimate issue is a lack of love. But what is the opposite of love? Hate. And then it's also a warning that it would be a sign and fruit that we hate God. And we're rebelling against him. And then who is our king? The prince of this world. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us for not loving you enough and not showing you to be our king and not showing ourselves enough to be sincere repenters of sin and faith in Christ the Lord. Lord, Please help us to take every thought captive, to beat our body into submission, to kill the old man and vivify the new man, and to be vigorous about it, taking heaven by storm, being fervent, and not letting lukewarmness to linger, but being zealous as you command. Cleanse us of all our iniquity. Renew us and refresh us in your righteousness and in your blood. And by your Holy Spirit, under your authoritative summons of our lives, thankfully, a saving summons, help us to have fruit, to show the root of faith and repentance unto life. Lord, let us not be so concerned about the consequences of sin, but the sin for what it is in us, and the lack of honoring and glorifying you and proclaiming you as king and loving you when we don't. Lord, we pray, help us to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. Oh, Lord, let us be able to say, though not perfectly, progressively making progress, I have kept myself from mine iniquity. And let us rejoice in the liberty and life of that, and the giving of a better witness to the world, that people would come and glorify you for seeing our good works as light to the world and salt to the earth. And let us recognize you will often give us opportunity to do these things as you bring affliction upon us, and how we handle it, and how we trust you. So indeed, Lord, let us trust in you with all our heart, and lean not on our own understanding, in all our ways, acknowledge you, and you will direct our steps. O oh, Lord God of Israel, bless us indeed. Enlarge our camp. Let thine hand be with us. O oh, Lord, keep us from our iniquity, that it would not grieve us. We close praying as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.